Well, should we just <laughs> jump right in then? Yes. Yeah. All right, go. cool. Well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris, here with Heather. Hello. And Caitlin in Portland. Oh, hi. So today we have a subject that I find infinitely fascinating, and I hope you all do too. So this episode, we're talking about mortuary practices and rituals. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's pretty intense. At least the one the one I picked is pretty intense. Yeah, I got to study a lot of this in college funerary objects and practices and stuff like that. So it's it's really fun. But they they they're pulling some ones out that I never heard of. So that's fun. I got really into Caitlin Doty a couple of years ago, and she talks about this kind of stuff in a lot of oh, her yeah. content. Oh yeah, so. she wrote that. Um, what is it? Um, mortuary. She wrote a book. It was like she did. I can't remember the name of that. I remember yeah. her first book was Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, but that's about her experience in the funeral industry. But she did do one where she would like go around to different parts of the world and kind of get into what their practices were. It's really interesting. That's yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I did not use her as a source for this, but um, her, her videos are pretty cool. Oh, yeah. On YouTube. I love her. Yeah. That's the Ask a Mortician Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's yep. a cutie pie. So this is a broad subject that intersects with many other academic disciplines like sociology, theology, and archaeology, just to name a few. There are many kinds of mortuary practices and rituals throughout the world in history, some of which have been outlawed for various reasons. And I feel I'm not incorrect in saying that the world has homogenized the way we perform these practices. Burial and cremation seem to be the prevailing method in our modern world. But that doesn't mean there's necessarily a correct way. The point of having mortuary rituals for many cultures is a commemoration of the dead and their memory. It melds ritual, belief, and social identities in how we mourn those who have passed on. It is also a reminder to the living that we too are not long for this world. So as we go through these two examples, no matter your beliefs or opinions, I feel it should go without saying that we must always be careful not to impose our beliefs and feelings on others, especially when we understand little about them, their culture, or their reasoning. What seems reasonable to us may be just as shocking or sacrilegious to them. Yeah. And that's my little soapbox spiel right there. Yeah, 100%. I can smell it. it. Smell that soap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I think particularly, well, actually, I think both of the ones we're talking about today, I think if you're an incredibly religious person, um you know, maybe, maybe of Christian persuasion, you, you, you might find this, you know, offensive in some ways. Gross when it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, that's, it's just it's that Western that's what, sensibilities. Like you yeah, say, it's exactly. It's your Western sensibility. It's like what you grew up knowing. And it's also what your spiritual beliefs dictate is the correct way when, mm-hmm. you know, to another culture, the way they do it may seem that's the correct way to honor. And like, you know, burying somebody in the ground or burning them to to them. That's just like, that's insane. And I mean, um, it's just, it's so interesting too, for the longest time, nobody wanted to pierce their body or have any tattoos because that was kind of like, I don't know. Desecration of the vessel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and like that would just kind of boil down to what your corpse is going to be like later for reanimation. Like just the craziest shit like that. Like, yeah, just well, fascinating. I mean, I I personally think embalming is asinine and crazy and disgusting in my Definitely. opinion. 
I mean, they only started <laughs> doing that during the Civil War, and it was for Which good is reason. Fascinating. It uh-huh. was because you know people would die on the field across the country, and in order for them to get their family members' bodies back to the back to them, they would have to preserve them. Not somehow. in a human puddle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they started embalming people for that reason, and now this is a practice that we do in modern day that is, I mean, most funerals I've been to, the body has been involved. And um, it just, I understand, like, buying time to, you know, maybe make the body appear more palatable. I That's a weird sure, word sure. for it. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not it, eating it. Probably, but. It does probably get kind of, like, uh, unsightly you know yeah naturally but we just aren't exposed to that anymore yeah and i wonder if that's a symptom of how you know in maybe in more so in modern western societies how we're kind of farther away from from death you know or like how we view it how we perceive it you know how how we how we kind of ingest it you know um excuse the pun um (laughs) <laughs> it'll make sense later second eating fun <laughs> yeah well it's it's uh, it's, well, it's, it's gonna make sense it. later yeah yeah well uh, you know with the they sell accessories for burial such as coffin sealants where you can put an extra like basically gasket on the coffin to seal it up better so it protects the body from the elements after it's in the ground and but it's like it's like I don't know, such a deep, I don't know, this is kind of opinionated, I guess, but a deep delusion that it's not going to happen. Like decomposition isn't going to happen eventually. You know, it's like yeah, the salesman it, it like will. smacks the coffins, like, you're not going to get decomposition in this baby for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just seems like we are using, I don't know, people's like fear mongering to make money in the funeral industry. Yeah, actually, totally. Yeah. That historian talks about like that, that, Caitlin. Does. Yeah, the, actually, yeah, that was something does. I was really thinking about when you mentioned, you know, the embalming really came into fashion during the Civil War, and now it's part of this huge um, industry. You know, yeah. like this whole like embalmers has now become, you know, a a, a career or a job, right? You know, and, and it's super and dangerous for them too. They get special types of cancers from exposure to these chemicals and. You know, it's just really kind of an overall destructive practice. Right. And I mean, the jobs are starting to dwindle for that as well, as far as embalmers and stuff like that. Yeah. Because people aren't getting embalmed as much as they used to. And most of it is cremation. A lot of people are getting cremated. Can't get involved in this economy. (laughs) Am I right? No, it's better on your wallet and better for the environment overall. I I absolutely Mm -hmm. agree. Yeah. So with that, you you want to take the first one, Heather? Yes, certainly. All, All right. right. So I'm going to be talking about Towers of Silence. And this is out of Iran and India. I just kept thinking of corpse gravy today after, ugh, God. Yum. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's You the know, it's, it's funny. We're making all these, like, food illusions, and it's... <laughs> I, I, I hope it doesn't put everybody off when I get to mine. <laughs> Oh my I God. hope I, it does. I gotta say, yeah. I just saw for <laughs> the first time. Have you ever seen that video of the guy who does all the like uh, ice cream tasting for like Ben and Jerry's or whatever? Or, like, no, no. He's just like, all right. So he's got a golden spoon because he doesn't want it to affect the flavor. Oh sure. He tastes it and he goes, 
Sí. Butterscotch. Almond. <laughs> There's the notes of almond on. <laughs> Gonna aerate it. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> oh, God bless him. <laughs> and his so fucking actually, golden spoon. <laughs> you kind of see I it. It's really funny. I wonder if the He's gold like, makes it, brings out the flavors. I don't know. Probably not. You know, it's I supposed to be flavorless. I'm. Oh. I would imagine it would be because silver does have a certain tarnish effect yeah, on it over this time. Is, true. This is the person that knows right here. And steel. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced the taste of a steel Hot fork steel. before. Okay. Like you, you could taste it. I don't I think, know. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of know what you mean. Yeah. Or the tin can leaching into. And, into yeah, it's just this. It's just sort of metallic. Yes. You know. Uh, I don't know if it's flavor or kind of like a, a note. Yes. Talk about it like it's yeah. wine. Like fucking black olives. Like every time you get a can of black olives, all you can taste is tin. Mm-hmm. Or me. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So anywho, <laughs> Towers of Silence. Am I right, guys? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the Towers of Silence. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> So the Towers of Silence are a Zoroastrian mortuary ritual. Zoroastrianism is an esoteric religion that is one of the oldest of the major religions. Though there is debate on where it began and how old it really is, it was prevalent in pre-Islamic Iran and still flourishes in parts of India. It is also believed that Zoroastrianism influenced later religions like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and even Buddhism for its monotheism and teachings of moral dualism and the struggle between good and evil and light and darkness. I remember learning about uh, Zoroastrianism in my world religions class, like, very clearly. It was, yeah, it's it, it's kind of, like, shrouded in sort of, like, ancient alien stuff now, so it's yeah. kind of yeah, you've it's heard got all that lot. bullshit to mm-hmm. it. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, like, at its core, it was, you know, a real a real thing. Yeah, I I mean I remember like my particular teacher was really on in the camp of Christianity is fucking bullshit. Listen to these stories from Zoroastrianism. That symbolizes the the spears going into Christ during crucifixion and it was wow. uh You know what I'm talking about kids? Very in that camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was I mean I was already like agnostic leaning to atheism and that just kind of Blew my mind beyond that. (laughs) So aside from having a killer name for their mortuary ritual, the Tower of Silence is akin to a kind of sky burial. We'll get more into the details later, but in a nutshell, a large tower-like structure is erected so that it is shorter than what we may think of as a tower, but still retains its circular shape. The top of the tower is open to the elements with a circular wall around the top. The bodies of the dead are brought to the top of the tower and essentially left to decay and decompose. Similarly to Tibetan sky burials, carrion birds, usually vultures, are always present to feed upon the dead. Here is a description from Thomas Herbert who visited an Indian Dakmas, or Tower of Silence, in the mid-1620s. For variety's sake, turned we not to another sort of Gentiles in Surat and Gusarat called Parsis, who are a people descended out of Persia, banished hither, to avoid Mahometry and circumcision, upon the death of valiant Zegdrid, the Persian king who died A.D. 635 or thereabout. 
Got to run from that circumcision. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, am I right? <laughs> their funerals these. They neither burn nor bury their dead, but having first put the body into a winding sheet, all the way as they pass towards the grave his kindred beat their breasts, but with little noise, till they come within fifty or one hundred paces of the burial place, where the hirbood meets them, usually attired in a yellow scarf and on his head wearing a thin turban. The necessilars, or bearers, carry the corpse upon an iron bier, for wood is forbidden, in that it is dedicated to the fire, to a little shed, where, so soon as some mystics are acted, they house it up to the top of the round building, some of which are twelve foot high and eighty in circuit. The entrance is most part at the northeast side, where through a small gate they convey the carcass into a monument, good men into one, bad into another. Tis flat above, open to the air, plastered with white loam, hard and smooth like that of Paris. In the midst thereof is a hole descending to the bottom, made to let in the putrefaction issuing from the melted bodies, which are thereupon laid naked in two rows, or ranks, exposed to the sun's rage and appetite of ravening birds, who spare not to devour the flesh of these carcasses, tearing them asunder and deforming them in an ugly sort, so that the abominable stink of those unburied bodies, in some places three hundred, so loathsome that, did not a desire to see strange sights allure a traveler, they would prove much worse seen than spoken of. The dislike of the Parsees expressed at my taking a view of this Golgotha made it appear that they do not delight that it should be seen by strangers. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the way, the way he describes it, he kind of makes it sound like a, like a giant soup. Yeah. Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lots of I haven't uh, had dinner stink, yet. I'm really hungry. Uh, of the abominable sort. I'm hungry, too. <laughs> I'm going to have just chili. like mm, very soup. excited. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm I'm full and so I'm extra grossed out now. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will deter me. Yeah. <laughs> so we see here that Thomas's western sensibilities get the better of him as he is notably disgusted by this ritual. In his ignorance he gets some things incorrect. For instance, Many dogmas' entrances face east, so as to let the sun shine into the entrance, so he was mistaking about it being northeast. He also describes the floor as a plaster-like material. He is most likely inaccurate, as plaster would wash away over time during the monsoon rains and isn't practical long-term. It most likely may have been something like marble, but the floors of other towers are shown to have been stone. It is even likely that he did not actually go into the tower and observe any of this up close, but from a distance, and from what he could glean from the locals. This is evidenced by the 1888 description of Edward Brown, who tried to visit the towers in Kierman, but his traveling companion told him, quote, None may pass beyond this spot where we stand, save only those whose duty it is to convey the dead to their last resting place, and a curse falls on him who persists so. In so doing. Yeah, I was like, like listening to Herbert's description. I was just sort of like, dude, like, who the fuck would let you in? You know, it's it, it, it's, yeah. it's like a sacred ritual. And, you know, it's like, why would they just let some European white guy like waltz in 
and just kind of yeah, like poke it's not around. Like he's got a like, fucking documentary crew or anything. Yeah, he's like poking corpses with sticks, and you know, it's just like, nah, man. Yeah, that's I. I just I, see what, his little I, like fingers and eyeballs over a wall, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> peeking in. What you going on here? <laughs> oh God! I'm scribbling furiously. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Oh my! <laughs> I don't want to get too particular about how Herbert was incorrect, but it is a fascinating account from the 1600s, nonetheless. The dogmas, or Tower of Silence, is believed not to be an ancient practice, and probably their construction goes back to only the 9th century CE. There may have been earlier towers, but we have no evidence of them. If those towers did exist, they most likely would have been destroyed and replaced with newer ones, quote, according to the belief that the body of the deceased turns truly to dust after the dogma is destroyed. Before that, however, the practice of exposing the bodies to the elements and to be devoured by dogs or birds seems to go back quite a bit more. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Well, Herodotus, the Greek historian writing in the 5th century BCE, writes how how the Zoroastrians, he calls them Persians here, like to keep their ritual secret. Quote, I can mention these Persian customs with confidence because I know about them, but there are others to do with the dead, which are talked about obliquely, as if they were secrets. It is said that a body of a Persian is not buried until it has been mauled by a bird or dog. I know for certain that the Magi do this, because they let it happen in public, but the Persians cover corpses in wax before burying them in the ground." That's so interesting, the wax. Like, mm-hmm. yes. Like, I kind of wonder if it's like they, you know, just, just like do a light layer or they, you know, like dip it in like candles. Yeah, how or... thick is it? Yeah. Yeah. I like and how to think, is it applied? Do they tie them up by the feet and dip them in? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like the old wick. <laughs> it's got to just be like a flip floppy pour situation. Yeah. You know? No, you're probably it doesn't right. doesn't have to be pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like in vessels and they just bring a... it. Just like, hurry before it hardens. Yeah, just splash it. Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and those like hands you used to get in the fair, but there's like a corpse hand still inside yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun. Do you think fun... they have to flip them over? Like they have to like do one side and then flip them over and do the I other mean, side? If they're if they're if they're doing it to encase the body, I mean they must have to, but that's gotta right. be hard not to break it. But I yeah. know kind of cool. They're coming, sir. Oh, I tripped. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It'd be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, it would be. Um, but they were I know called they, the wax. I know they. I think they found some wax that is. evidence of it in bodies, but I, but I, I don't really know much more than that. Mm. Yeah. Well, they probably because the ritual, you know, is so sacred. They probably would pass it down rather than than write about it. You know. Okay. Yeah. Or, so how do you spell Zoro- Zoroastrian? Oh, God. Z-O-R-O-A-S-T-R-I. God, it came right up. Okay. okay. Body waxing. <laughs> Thank God I didn't have to finish it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I um, I got stuck. You guys, look at this. It's just someone getting their piss waxed. Oh, yeah. Look oh, that. that's fun. Ooh. <laughs> I like the, the, the square, uh, the X on the butthole. That's nice. The X on the butthole. <laughs> Well, that didn't help. Okay. Anyway. Well. 
So, you know, anytime we read Herodotus, we have to take him with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. He often relates things through hearsay, and though he supposedly traveled great distances to experience other cultures and peoples, we can never know how accurate this is, as he often makes inaccurate or wild claims. Yep. Yep. It's coming from, from somebody who's read a lot of Herodotus. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like always like, I heard it from a friend or I, I heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody else. And I know three versions of the same story. Isn't that a lot of like ancient Grecian writers and things like that, though? Was he Roman? Uh no, he was he was he was a uh, Greek. Um, okay. Yeah, it was because like it was such a verbal tradition back then. You know, you were to hear things rather than to read them or anything. Like yeah. That. Well, in in Herodotus, Herodotus's case, he's trying to document the histories of certain like peoples and cultures. Oh, which would have been crazy hard back then. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's you know it's almost impossible past a certain point, um, to to get any sort of accuracy. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, I mean, it is through a lot of hearsay and stuff, but I mean, you know, how, <laughs> how accurate it is. And also, you know, he's, there's biases and things like that with him. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it has to be expected from these, these ancient dudes. Yeah. Was he like the critic, like the cartoon in the nineties? <laughs> it stinks. It stinks. It stinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was saying that about this for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like I went to Persia and had their food, three out of five stars. <laughs> three out of three gold coins. Pyramids could have been bigger. <laughs> not that impressive. Yeah, not that impressive. <laughs> so before the Tower of Silence term was coined by a European in the 19th century, the term dakma was a variation on a Persian word meaning crypt or tomb. <laughs> that was bad, but you get it. <laughs> <laughs> you get it as a crypt keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> they would normally have rock cut tombs or cave tombs, usually for royalty or the wealthy upper class who could afford the time and effort it took to carve them. The bodies of common people may have been exposed, however. Covering the bodies in wax and placing them in a trench after exposure would be in line with keeping the bodies from polluting. Like burial and gaskets on your coffin. Yeah. <laughs> Until they explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've seen that happen a couple times on this right, show. Listen to our St. Augustine episode to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> so how does the practice work? Tell us. Okay, well, from what I can gather, the bodies are wrapped in sheets and conveyed to the tower by practitioners who specialize in the conveyance of the body and the other aspects of the ritual. Towers can vary depending on their location and the community, but the top of the tower is flat with the walls keeping the top hidden from view. Some towers have concentric rings where the bodies are laid in rows on stone beds. The elements and the vultures rid the bodies of most of their flesh surprisingly quickly. That, I said that very strangely. <laughs> Rid them of their flesh quickly. Rid them Rid of their flesh. Of the flesh. <laughs> quickly. <laughs> so the elements and the vultures rid the bodies of most of their flesh surprisingly quickly. That was better. Surprisingly. 
It's like a ding ding DoorDash flash stripper service. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> the bones are then left to dry and bleach in the sun, sometimes for as long as a year. The bones are then collected and put into an ossuary pit that is at the center of the tower. Using lime and or other materials, the bones, and any other flesh, are gradually broken down. Then using runoff rainwater, the material runs through multiple layers of coal and sand to filter out the rainwater, which then runs through a trench. Which gets you sweet, sweet, cool water. That's right. El Dorado water, which you could buy at your <laughs> local grocery store. Yum. That's mm-hmm. the corpse water. That's the best water. <laughs> See, I always like the word ossuary. It's a, it's just, but it's nothing more than a bone home. That's all it is, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, Heather, that was good, but I want you to do that again in a Billy yes. Mays voice. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> all right, Mr. Director. You just made me do the whole thing. <laughs> Asshole. I, I I was gonna do it, but you know. she's no. a professional. She was ready. <laughs> I'll take direction. I mean, no, like, what no, the fuck? it's fine. <laughs> you want Billy? Who? <laughs> Two filters. That's right. Two filters. <laughs> oh. So what you may be asking is, why did they do this to their dead? Why? 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 Well. Why? why? It may seem macabre, but it actually makes some sense as well as being ecological. Oh, I love ecological. I do too. Mm-hmm. And economic. If I am understanding correctly, Zoroastrians believe that corpses are impure and can be taken over by evil spirits. These impurities, like decay and decomposition, are to be sequestered and not allowed to defile or contaminate everything, particularly the earth, water, and even fire. So this ritual has become a way to dispose of the body safely. Ecologically, it works well as the vultures and other birds feast on the corpse, thereby gaining nutrients from that which would have been just left to rot. I read elsewhere that there is a mythological aspect to vultures and the practice. Feeding one's body to the vultures is a final act of charity. Feeding and giving life to the vultures, it is also said that the conveyance of one's soul to the afterlife is aided by... The vulture's mystic eye. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I like all that. That sounds yeah. pretty good. Sounds yeah. good to me. It seems. Yeah, um, I mean, it makes sense. Seems fair and natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, I get. I think right. we mentioned briefly mentioned the Tibetan sky burials, but yeah, I mean, similar yes. thing. They just kind of bring yeah, them out onto a hill or um, let on a like start letting and, them cut them open and you know yeah get get that that uh. Them smells, free smells going. That awful. Mm. That stinking awful. (laughs) That stinking awful. (laughs) (laughs) We've had nothing to eat for free, stinking (laughs) die. Wow, we're just, I I love the food comparisons. It's wonderful. I'm sure I've done that joke too much. I love that shit. Never. Never never too much. (laughs) Well, the practice has been outlawed in some places for safety and disease concerns. In places like Mumbai, where there is still a sizable Zoroastrian community, the decline of vultures due to urban encroachment and pesticides have made the quick breakdown of the bodies 
impossible. Like impossible burger. Yes. Yeah, it's so sad. You know, it's like the encroachment of of humans and stuff is just like declining the vulture population yeah. and, and they serve such a huge um such such a big purpose for, you know. Oh, so their habitat's being depleted, so they're not able to eat as many bodies as there are, and so there's so many goddamn rotting bodies. Yep. Well, I think a bigger thing in Mumbai... We took their jobs. Yeah, they took their jobs. Um, But in Mumbai, I think it was a a lot more of the pesticides... There was oh, these certain pesticides. I remember hearing yeah. about that too. Like it even, I mean, I'm not sure if it was the vultures, but it often affects eggs and stuff like that. And like, you know. Yeah, I don't remember the they, details. They're, they're young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was something that was like really, um, yeah, it was really fucking with the with the vulture population. Oh, poor babies. Yeah. Oh. They're just they're yep. just doing God's work, man. I know. They just want that main flesh. That's what they're supposed to be doing, and we're not letting them do it. Uh-huh. Man, it's that's that's cool though. Like the I the tower silence is really just such an interesting way. Um, I love that it's like a whole structure yeah. around it, and yeah. but it's re- it is really like ecologically sound in that way. You know, it's you yes, know, the, the carry on birds are feeding on it. The bones are drying out. They're going through, you know, getting pulverized, or you know, and then it's getting like filtered through. I, that's it's a pretty... just a very efficient way to uh, help nature out with like what what's supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it smells, but you know. And I mean, yeah. I, I was looking at pictures of it because I just thought it was so interesting, and I thought that it was such a simplistic structure, and it looked almost like brutalist or something like really yeah. modern. And it kind of added to how creepy and efficient it is a little bit, almost like right. it's kind of like a sewage or like a a, a dam or something like a like drain that. system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And it was so it was so interesting in that way. But I don't know. And also can't help but think of like Zorian Zoroastri, Zoroastri, Zoroastrianism. Because I think we grew up with Scientology that I just like feel like it just sounded like it was a part of that somehow. And like the kind of modernness of the structure added to the cult thing and the Kool-Aid. And it just kind of a lot of crazy <laughs> connotations going on there for me. All these images of corpses <laughs> dancing in your head. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, I guess mine's going to be a little long, but it's pretty interesting and pretty uh well it's gonna be kind of a bummer towards the end but but it's super interesting well, nonetheless you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> colonialism you know that whole chestnut mm, that whole thing so i'm gonna be talking about the huari people out of brazil in the western brazilian rainforest near the bolivian border lives an indigenous community known as the Wari. Though they live in small villages nowadays, they used to be a part of a larger linguistic family of other regional peoples. But their numbers and territories dwindled due to first contact and subsequent outsider contact well into the 20th century. Up until the 1960s, the Wari had a mortuary practice that was shocking to many outsiders. So much so that it became a point of controversy when the outside world learned of their tradition. This part of the story is tragic, but we'll get to that at the end. The Wari mm. practice what is known as endocannibalism, to both mourn oh. and di- dispose of their dead, consuming mm. large portions of the deceased. 
I've seen footage of this, like these people. I know what you mean. Yeah, there's a, there's a few different um, cultures and societies that do it. Um, I don't know if they have like video of, of the Wari in specifically, but I mean, but they might though. It might it might mm -hmm, be them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some societies who also practice endocannibalism ingest small portions or even drink ground up bones like the Yanomami. And the Yanomami are kind of cool because they grind up the bones and they put it into like a like a drink that's bread. mixed with like bananas. Um, oh. So it's like this. It's almost like this banana bone drink. Essentially. Oh, OK. That could be Ooh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> So the Wari would ingest roasted flesh, brains, heart, liver, and sometimes ground up bones as well. My main source for this is an article written by Beth A. Conklin titled, Thus are our bodies, thus was our custom, mortuary cannibalism in an Amazonian society. Conklin spent time with the Wari in the 80s and interviewed a number of them about the old practices, speaking with living elders who had experienced or even partook in the ritual. Conklin's hmm. work is an interesting insight into mortuary cannibalistic practices. The Wari are not the only people on the globe and in history to practice it, but we have little evidence or firsthand accounts from the people themselves and their perspectives on the practice and tradition. And not all endocannibalistic practices are the same, so we should be careful not to take the Wari's experiences as a generalization of other cultures' practices. So we have heard many times in historical and ethnographic literature about exocannibalism of enemies or outsiders, but we seldom learn of endocannibalism and the care and reverence that the practitioners have for the ritual. Yeah, that's interesting. You, yeah, you usually hear about it as kind of uh, an enemy situation. Yeah, right. It's that exocannibalism. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, you hear about like the the tribe that's uh, their headhunters and man eaters and yeah, like. Uh... What's that movie? Fucking Cannibal Holocaust. Yep, that's the one. Hell yeah. Mm. Uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, and, and and I'm not going to talk about, it, but the Wari do uh, did also eat their enemies. Yeah. Um, well, if you practice endo cannibalism, I mean, why let good food go to waste in an enemy? Right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to describe <laughs> the funeral ritual, but. But yeah. for the enemies, they would do none of the the care or or, or ritual sure. or anything. They yeah. would basically treat it like it was animal meat. Um, yeah, that makes you know, sense. Just, just cook it and just eat it off the off the bone, like you know, just be as basically as kind of like um, a turkey leg at the Renaissance. Fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because I don't. I wouldn't think that like we would be able to digest human flesh very well, and it sounds like they. Like if they do both enemy and friend, that sounds like kind of a lot of human flesh. Yeah, I mean, like I guess for the funerals, you know, like how how often or how much they did that is is you know I, we I don't think we'll know for sure. And for their yeah. enemies, I mean, it's sort of a how often were they at war? Was it mm -hmm. all captured enemies or was it just a few? Was it mm -hmm. you know? There's there's all these questions that I I just didn't get answers to in my research, but. Um, but it's, but it's, it's, it is an interesting thought, like how often, mm. you know, did, did they practice either exo or endo cannibalism? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many anthropologists and outsiders asked the Wari why they practice this, this kind of mortuary ritual. And they often got the answer. This is our custom. Hmm. It was the norm for them. 
and the most respectful way to honor and mourn their dead. Some also expressed that it was a way to get through their grief and gain some emotional detachment. So hmm. quoting one of the interviewers or one of the interviewees, quote, when we yeah. ate the body, we did not think longingly about the dead much, unquote. So Conklin noted about her interviews, quote, numerous middle-aged and elderly people of both sexes and in various villages independently offered the explanation that cannibalism altered memories and the emotions of grief in ways that helped them deal with the loss of a loved one, unquote. Wow. So, yeah, processing, you know, they say everyone processes grief differently and... And they literally process it. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, they, they do. I mean, I, I can empathize. You know, it's obviously not something I would ever... I couldn't, but you know, I understand. Yeah, what when, when to I a certain when degree. I, yeah, when I describe the ritual in detail, um that that'll actually be a thing that comes up is sometimes the reluctance to eat. Yeah. Um, you know, even though they know it's tradition and they, you know, and it is the the best way for them to honor the dead. Yeah. Um there is always yeah. still reluctance. But of we'll get course. more into that when I describe it, yeah. Yeah. So, in fact, many Wari would become indignant that anthropologists and outsiders would be so fixated on the ritual. To them, it is a part of a larger process of reshaping emotional and spiritual relations between the living and the dead. Yeah. So, Conklin invites us to understand this part of the process in two concepts. The human body as a focus of social relationships and identity, and the idea of human-non-human reciprocity. So, quoting Conklin, These concepts merged in a year-long series of traditional mourning rites that focused on actual and symbolic transformations of a dead person's body from human to animal form. Cannibalism was a powerful element in a social process of mourning structured around images of ancestors' regeneration as animals with ongoing life-supporting relations to their living relatives. So, I think... I think basically what she's saying there is it's going back to that idea of emotional detachment. Not only right. is there the spiritual element that they're transforming into an animal, but there's sort of that detachment and that we are getting nourishment from from well, the animal. Yeah, you know? I mean, once someone dies, they're no longer them. They're just a a, a corpse, a shell of them. They Like, they uh-huh. are no longer in there. Yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. They're, they're bag of meat and bones. Yeah, the left. the the importance of the body and and you know and those that social connection and identity is is only with the living at that point. Yeah, right. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. It's it's the body's only important in that way. Yeah. So, uh quoting uh, quoting Conklin again. Worry concepts of the social universe as structured around oppositions and reciprocal exchanges between predator and prey. Symbolic oppositions between the categories of Wari, we people, and Karawa, animals, recur in Wari ideology and rituals at multiple levels. Humans versus animals, Wari versus non-Wari, consanguines versus affines. Consanguines would be like like uh relatives like like we're consanguines like I the see. blood um mm-hmm. affines are like uh like close kin um maybe through marriage or something like that um you'll you'll be hearing me say affines and consanguines uh when i yeah like describe affable. the ritual yeah exactly yeah exactly 
I don't know, you guys. I was just thinking about it. I don't. I don't think I'd want to see you guys get eaten by a bunch of oh. people. Oh hell no, no. I, I there's no way that I could ever even imagine this. But yeah, I mean, trying it's... to put myself in, you know, in a in a more remote kind of society that I I don't know. There's just just a certain element of it that I understand and makes sense for them mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. for me ever <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. I a think, little bit i think i was just trying to see if i could like imagine separating like if if you like say you or chris were dead you know though you're not there anymore and it is just your body i don't think i yeah. that would not be my coping or, mechanism <laughs> or no, no yeah or just even know it that would not know? be my cup of bone tea um, no, <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, I, I don't think I could either. You know, I mean, even cremation, I think, is I, mean, I haven't really gone through it yet with like somebody, but it's kind of got to also be hard to think of, even though they're not there anymore, thinking of you know, you burning up kind of thing. That's got to be really shitty, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's sort of you know, and I don't know if that's this is necessarily like going back to that western, those western mm-hmm. sensibilities and like kind of like you know, um, Judeo-Christian ideals, but, you know, it is, it is kind of hard to think, right? Because it's, it's hard to let go, it's, you yeah, know, right. in, in, in any situation with grief. For, for even simple things. Yeah. It's in, the fucking shit in your closet, it's hard to let go of. I mean, yeah. And, and, and it's kind of hard to think of somebody, you know, like you, Kate, like you mentioned, Kate, like just a pile of ashes or yeah, just a bunch of meat on a, on a plate. Yeah. That you know. face I've been talking to all my life, like just like, yeah, being burnt away. That's crazy. But that also might eaten. just be our inability to, you know, let go right. of, of well, the vessel. Us as a society are not taught the fucking tools to deal with death and loss and how that works no. and how to process it and no. what needs to be done. I mean, everyone mm. that experiences a death close in their family they're fucking lost. It should be a Fucks class taught in fucking yeah. high school, like loss. Yeah. Like how mm-hmm. like you're going to have to fill out these papers. Don't let them swindle you with these certain things. You're going to have to deal with all these different things because death is an inevitable thing, an evi- inevitable thing that we're all going to have to deal with many times throughout mm-hmm. our lives. And it's something that we're not taught as a society and it fucking it's. It's a crime. Yeah, they they fun. really don't prepare that for you, and and you know they don't, you know, they don't really prepare you for your own death either. You know, like no, you never really know when it happens, nope. and like I know I don't have a will. You know, I should. I mean, I don't have no, a lot I don't of assets. Have a will either. But mm. you know, it might be something I should probably start thinking no, about. No, but you. Yeah, I mean, some people pay for their funeral costs up front before they die, just so that you know. Their family Such doesn't have burden. to think about it. They yeah. arrange everything. Nice one, Earl. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So uh, I'll just finish this quote real quick. Mortuary cannibalism symbolically associated the dead person with a category of prey and identified the living wari with a category of predators. I, I don't know, again, if it's that detachment or that element of detachment or if it's just sort of trying to connect to the, the cycles. The cycles of life, like the, natural the cycles. World. Yeah, exactly. The natural world, life and death, predator and prey. Yeah. Um, enemy and friend or family. Um, yeah, that's how I kind of. That's kind of how I take it. Is is it's it's sort yeah. of a connection and also maybe further detachment. Um, right. 
but yeah. but it's pretty in depth. The the whole ritual is pretty in depth. Um, so I think that you know it's very intense, as we'll get into. Yeah. So I think that's why the detachment is really important because it is very intense and and like up close. Um, it could be a, a a little bit of both of those elements too. Mm-hmm. You know, could be yeah, yeah. It really could both be the yeah. detachment and the connection to the natural world. I mean, that's very plausible. Yeah, I think so. So for the ritual, I'm gonna just read from Conklin. Um, okay. Well, it's gonna be kind of going back and forth. I'll have mostly Conklin. I'll have my own stuff, but um, she laid it out really well, and yeah. it's really intense. And um, so I'll try to get through this quickly. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, yeah, it gets it gets pretty nuts. So, yeah, strap in here. All right. Click. So the funeral takes place in the home of the senior kinsman of the deceased. The household sleeping platform is removed to permit mourners to crowd together under the palm thatch roof. Two loosely defined groups have prescribed roles at the funeral. The first is the true kin or close sanguines and the spouse. Linked to the deceased by shared body substance, the true kin are the principal mourners. From the time of biological death until the body is disposed of, they remain nearest the corpse, holding it in their arms and crying. The second group of mourners, those who are like kin but are not truly related, most properly consists of the dead person's own affines and affines of the deceased's close kin. Close affines are responsible for the work of the funerals. Female affines prepare maize chicha, a sweet unfermented drink, and maize pomona, dense unleavened bread, to feed visitors. And male affines serve as messengers, summoning summoning people to the funeral. They prepare and dispose of the corpse in funeral apparatus and look out for the welfare of emotionally distraught mourners. There are some parallels. As far as like the roles go, like close family taking care in, in the body and, and, you know, friends helping out with like making the food and helping yeah. them, like, get people seated and congregated I, I, and everything. I think there are some things that are just universal with all yeah. of these processes, you know? Absolutely. Maybe I think it's, I think where things really differ and maybe where things get controversial for people is just how the body's handled. Um, but yes. I think most of the time it's, it's, there's a pretty universal, um, thing to it. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, no, you're fine. No, no, it's it a good point. So all mourners press close together around the body, leaning on each other's shoulders and wailing. Death wails are of several types, including wordless crying, the singing of kinship terms for the deceased, and a more structured keening called to cry speak in which mourners recount memories of the deceased, singing shared experiences in the person's life history. From the moment of death until the funeral's end, everyone joins in a ceaseless high-pitched keening that sends a haunting mantra of collective grief reverberating off the surrounding forest. Oh, that's eerie. Yeah, kind of cool, though. Just thinking about like hearing like a choir of, of wailing. Yeah, I mean, and that's like Ooh. why, like, I feel this, this description is very intense, not just for the, the, the cannibalism that's going to come, but I yeah. mean, it's, it's very, everything's very close quarters. You're very close to the body. Um, the emotions are really, re- yeah, it is. And I, I feel like it's got to be a very, um, I mean, like, I, there's no other way to say it's spiritual experience, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. 
which is probably what, you know, is which is obviously what it's meant to do. Absolutely. Yes. It's not like not like kind of funerals now where they're can be kind of perfunctory sometimes or have that kind of feel, you know. Yeah. So the dead person's humanity and social connections are repeatedly affirmed in funeral actions directed at the corpse itself, which is the constant focus of attention. Corpses are never left to lie alone. From the moment of death until the body is disposed of, grieving kin constantly cradle the corpse in their arms, hugging it, pressing their own bodies to it. Desire for physical touch can be so intense that according to several Santo Andre residents, there was a funeral a few years ago where the corpse was in danger of being pulled apart by distraught kin struggling to embrace it. Popular. Mm. <laughs> Mr. Popular. <laughs> They're like, you don't have to rub it in. <laughs> Are you going to pull me apart when I die? I'd pull I you apart. Mean, oh. <laughs> me, and Katie, me and Katie are going to have to duke it out for the, the biggest chunks. Well. No, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> so numerous funeral actions express mourners' self-identification with the dead person's physical state and desires to join the deceased in death. Any loss of consciousness, such as fainting, is considered a form of death. Whoa. In one common funeral practice, close relatives die by lying on top of one another in stacks of three or four people with the corpse on top. Oh, God. When someone faints from the suffocating press of bodies, he or she is pulled out of the pile, and someone else joins the pile in a process repeated again and again. Wow. Odd. Yeah. That's very, mm -hmm. that, that one's very interesting. It, Again, very it's interesting. like, it's the closeness. It's, it's like, yeah. uh, I, I mean, suffocating was a very good word. Um, yeah. Like I imagine it's, you know, it's not just like the suffocating feeling of grief, but it is like literal suffocation. Yeah. In some Like in instances. every sense. Yeah. Which is very <laughs> interesting. Jesus. Yeah. In traditional funeral. imagine what birthday oh. parties are like. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh man <laughs> everybody crowds around in the cake yeah. <laughs> so in traditional funerals the male affine helpers constructed the ritual firewood bundle and roasting rack ideally these were made of roof beams decorated with feathers and painted with red anato a beam was taken from each house in the dead person's village leaving the thatched roof sagging in a visible expression of death's violation of the community's integrity. Wow. I love that. I think that's, that's like very cool. beautiful. Yeah, I that really is. love it. It's sort of like our, wow. you know, raising a flag half mass or something, but I, I, yeah. I, I just love that imagery. It's very, it's very Wait, cool. wearing black. I'm sorry. Um, so, so they'll, when they build the, um, when they build the firewood bundle and the roasting rack, um, maybe really just for the fire firewood bundle, um, everybody in the village takes a roof beam from their house, from you know, their thatched Their roofs. own home. That is really cool. So as a result, everybody's roof sags a little bit. And it's sort of just, just it's very symbolic. You know, it's this, mm. this, this sagging depression. But of, if they didn't like the, the guy that much and they're like, well, I'm not taking mine. I'm putting well, actually, another beam. I, 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 did, <laughs> I did actually meant, uh, put this in there, but um, if if 
two people were enemies in the village, they wouldn't invite the person to oh. the thing because it's supposed to be a whole village event. But mm -hmm. if these two persons were at odds, not always. Sometimes it could bring people who were opposed together or like families in the person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But totally. if they were like not friends or just, you know, fucking hate each other, that person wouldn't be invited to the You're ritual. not getting my fucking beam. No. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> or my slapping bodies on sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funerals for infants were less elaborate. Regular, undecorated firewood was used. When preparations were completed, the helpers lit the fire, spread clean mats on the ground, and dismembered the body using a bamboo arrow tip. Wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah, right? <laughs> so the Jeez. internal organs were removed first and the heart and liver were wrapped in leaves to be roasted. Body okay. parts considered inedible, including hair, nails, genitals, intestines, and other entrails, were burned. The helpers okay. severed the head, removed the brains, cut the limbs at the joints, and placed the body parts on the roasting racks. Wow. Young children's body parts were wrapped in leaves in the manner used to roast small fish and other soft foods. That is... That's fucking intense. Oh, it gets mm -hmm. more intense. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, my my so, understanding is dwindling a little bit. But of course, you know, I'm not a part of this culture. It's just Yeah, it's it's it, taking it a hard, hard left turn here. It's mm -hmm. hard to wrap your mind around for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure after, you know, you you went through this maybe a few times, you know, in your life, it you know, you might get more comfortable. Honestly, I don't think they ever really get comfortable. It's yeah. just the custom. How could you? Yeah. It's like it's like death in general, though. Like, you know, right. you could have you could lose. I mean, I can think I've lost, you know, quite, you know, quite a few friends and, you know, yeah. old friends and, you know, and some, I guess, some family members, too, you know, more distant. But I don't think it ever gets easy. No, no, it doesn't. So elders have recounted how the dismemberment of the body is the worst part for the kinsmen, as it is the point where the physical changes occur, and thereby their relationship to the dead alters as well. The cannibalism was not the worst part for the kinsmen, as eating the flesh was considered the most respectful treatment of the body. Yeah. The dead person's close consanguines did not eat the corpse. So if it was like, you know, if I, so if like I died, you guys wouldn't eat it. You guys wouldn't be yeah. really wouldn't be allowed to. Well, that's uh, good. There's that. Consum yeah. <laughs> Consumption of a yeah, close nice. uh, consanguine or spouse's flesh is strongly prohibited because eating a close relative with whom one shared body substance would be tantamount to eating one's own flesh or auto cannibalism. And it, that is believed to be fatal. Interesting. Yeah. So on that note, the Nari Poxy the affines and other non-kin were responsible for consuming the corpse. They are sometimes referred to as kokao, those who ate. Cannibalism was a primary obligation of affinity. Adult men were obliged to eat their close affines. Refusal to do so would have insulted the dead person's family. Women were not required to, to participate in cannibalism, but did so at their own discretion. Distinctions of generation, age, or gender were, large, were largely irrelevant. Male and female adults and adolescents consumed corpses of all ages in both sexes. Men's and women's corpses were treated almost identically. Hmm. 
So roasting usually commenced in the late afternoon, and eating usually began at dusk. The dead person's closest kin divided the well-roasted brains, heart, and liver into small pieces, placed the pieces on clean mats, and called the others to begin eating. The affines did not descend greedily upon the flesh, but hung back, crying and expressing reluctance to eat. Only after repeated insistence by the dead person's close kin did they accept the flesh. They then prepared the other body parts by removing the flesh from the bones and dividing it into small pieces. Funeral eaters did not touch the flesh with their hands, but held it delicately on thin splinters like cocktail uh, toothpicks. So it's like kind of walking around with a tray. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I know. I was just thinking, I'm like, this is making me super excited for 4th of July. Mm, Little brain. (laughs) Mm, Little liver man. Makes me want a hot dog real bad. Hot dog with all of my best It still isn't deterring me, man. I'm still fucking starving. I am hungry too. (laughs) Yay, guys. (laughs) So they ate very slowly, alternately crying and eating. There appears to have been no special significance attached to ingesting particular body parts and no pattern determining who ate which portions. Okay. Consumption of the corpse continued until dawn, at which time any remaining flesh was cremated. Treatment of the bones varied. Sometimes they were ground into meal, mixed with honey, and consumed. In other cases, the bones were burned, pulverized, and buried. In all cases... The clay pots, mats, roasting rack, and funeral fire remains were burned, pounded to dust, and buried by the male affine helpers. The helpers then swept the earth to eradicate all traces of the funeral and replaced the household sleeping platform over the spot where the ashes were buried. I was just thinking about um, just all these people with their little, you know, toothpicks and the and the flesh on it kind of thing and like they're all crying and it's like, you know, kind of really eerily silent, but someone's got a really loud like condiment bottle. That's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like we've told like, you no hot sauce at the funeral. He's crying too, but he keeps doing it anyway. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Oh. It's like whacking it against his hand. I'm sorry. I know. Well, I mean, it is a cop, a dark humor comedy podcast. Comic so. relief. It's it's needed during this. I feel this like we've done heavy. a pretty good job. I feel like we've been pretty good. Whew, it's heavy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah, it's fucking heavy, dude. Yeah. So just think of that guy with the golden spoon. <gasps> Briny. Mm. <laughs> I mean, mm. joyful, joyful. I don't know where that is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love to see him go around the world to to, to different no. endo cannibalistic <laughs> practices and just like <laughs> I'll paint it up and shit. It's like stupid white body. Stupid white body, yeah. <laughs> His ice cream body. So, um, yeah, so that was really lengthy. I, I totally get that that was lengthy, but it is very intense. And, it's you know, interesting. it it's is very interesting. The, the kind of understanding the details really, you know, it, it sort of not really demystifies, but I think it, it makes it it puts into a context that makes sense. You know, it's not yeah. just like 
you're just eating it. There's a lot of preparation, care, a lot of grieving, a lot of emotions. And yeah. again, that that yeah. suffocating closeness uh, with the village, with the deceased. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it puts in that a context that I think makes sense, even though I still, you know, I think most of us probably still would never do that, um, you know, no, or, or no. watch other people do it. But um, no, yeah, it's kind no, of beautiful no in a very <clears throat> macabre way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my mind movie is good enough, and uh, yeah. yeah, my mind movie, and now I'm hearing weird owls just eat it in my head. <laughs> I'll never and think it's... of that the same again. <laughs> <laughs> they like play it on a boombox, like at the beginning. Of yeah, the it's a guy that's got the ketchup bottle. Oh my god! Oh. Damn it, Frank! <laughs> He's got like a fucking. <laughs> He's been to a bunch and he has like his own silverware and he's got like an apron. <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> he's just wearing a shirt with like a like his just the wiener out kind of thing. <laughs> I feel like if that was a thing in America, like if this was a ritual in America, that would absolutely happen. Dude, I wouldn't want to eat some of the people I've known. Uh, no. <laughs> No, no. Nah, like, did you all. see how much McDonald's and ranch this motherfucker ate in his life? No, thank they you. They would ask me, and I'd be like, I hated that motherfucker. I don't I know. Did <laughs> Did you ever go in the bathroom after he was done? I don't think I wanted to eat any of that ass. Like, none no. of it. No. None <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. So to close out this um this bit, I mentioned at the beginning that this practice was outlawed, and how that came about is tragic in my opinion, even if you don't agree with the practice. I thought of whether or not to add this, but I kind of thought it was prudent in how like that kind of colonial idea, right? That that yeah. uh, these these savages are wrong and, and everything they do is wrong and and you know it's trying to impose right. our morality and, and the modern world on on these people. Absolutely, yeah. In the 1950s After the first peaceful contact was established, government agents and missionaries witnessed some of these funerals. News of their cannibalistic practices reached the outside public. After a journalist published pictures of the dismemberment and roasting of a child at its funeral, many outside groups saw it as their duty to change the, quote, tragic situation of the Wari. What happened next should be familiar to anyone who has studied first European contact. These outside groups introduced devastating epidemics of measles, influenza, tuberculosis, and other cosmopolitan diseases. Within two or three years of contact, approximately 60% of the pre-contact population was dead. Chronically ill, psychologically traumatized, and unable to hunt or plant crops, the survivors became extremely dependent on outsiders for food and medical care. Missionaries and government agents manipulated these dependencies to put an end to cannibalism by threatening to withhold food and medicines from those who continued to eat the dead. They were Mm. told to bury their dead instead, but there was resistance at first, as the epidemics continued to ravage the communities and their knowledge of these diseases were limited, they listened to the missionaries and agents who told them that the epidemics weren't from them, the outsiders, but because they ate their dead. There was still pushback for a while, and some communities still practiced the ritual in secret. But by the early 1960s, 
nearly all of the communities abandoned the practice and now bury their dead. It only took the oh. annihilation of the population to get them to conform. Fuck. Yeah, yes. so that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. To put it mildly. No wonder yeah. you said there wasn't really footage of it because it's just, you know, so far back. Yeah, I think there might be some pictures and things floating around, but yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I mean by by the, you know, mid 1960s, it's you know, basically over at that point. Um yeah, and I did and I, again, I thought that prudent to to put in there because again, you know, these people didn't really understand the ritual and the context and you know, and everything else about it. Not not that I necessarily agree with it, you know, but that's mm -hmm. my own sensibilities. I don't I would I feel I kind of think it's a beautiful ritual in some in some ways. Um I would never yeah. do it, but I but I wouldn't tell anybody not to, especially just, you know, reading the description and how in depth and it just it's just such this like visceral um, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. just ritual. Community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it is undertaking. Really, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's I, so, uh, really mixed feelings about the whole thing, you know. But yeah, I know. Just, I did, too. It's just all um, these things that I've been taught, you know. Mm -hmm, but at, mm -hmm. at the same time, cannibalism is is taboo all over the world and has been for thousands of years. And there's a good reason for that. It's just I mean, yeah, I just wonder. I, I just am thinking it as a as like a way of like I just from the standard of digestion and getting sick and like, you know, things that are repellent to us for a reason, you know, because of that. Like we're just not supposed to eat it, but that's also like certain people that grew up or um, evolved in places without like alcohol or like as much bread or like various things, like they get sick from that or gain too much weight or like sure. their face turns red or they have allergies. Like, it's just yeah. like, maybe these people developed, you know, a fine digestion to it and it's no big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's but, maybe maybe a conditioning. I mean, you know, kind of like Heather pointed out, we're we're socially conditioned to think of burial or cremation as the proper only ways. Really, you know, it's only yeah. in the last few years where now things are new, different. You know, ways are coming out to bury your dead, like like the eco burial, composting. Yeah, composting. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, yeah, uh, just all all those other kind of new things that are coming out, which I think are honestly better ways to to do it instead mm, of just totally. like taking up all this land yeah with cemeteries just these bodies wild, and man. boxes i know i i, and I, I fucking love, love cemeteries yeah, i know i love I them too. so much but but they're wild the yeah as the population <laughs> starts to grow you know more exponentially it's, than it it's already antiquated. has it is very antiquated yeah and honestly, yeah. like, I prefer going to an older cemetery than a mm -hmm. newer one, you know. Um, newer ones are boring. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no offense to anybody. But so crazy you can't even, you can't even bury your own dead. But I guess there's biohazard with that kind of thing. And There's regulations, yeah. For yeah. sure. And yeah. I, get, and I then, get it. I get it. And if people weren't doing it right, they could poison the ground and cause some kind of yes. pollution and it could get yeah. into the groundwater and then that could be serious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only time you'll really see that now is, you know, not that anybody's done it, but, you know, old homesteads where they have, oh, um, sure. you know, the, like their family cemeteries on them. Yeah. Or yeah. murder. <laughs> 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 or, yeah, or, or murder. Murder. 
<laughs> so um yeah man that i i think this mortuary practice at rituals i would love to make this a running series in the future because yeah. i mean we just did two here and yeah, there's, there's a lot. so many and um and i also like giving them the, the the kind of attention and consideration that i think they deserve especially when we're talking about you know i mean we'll joke around but we're talking about how people you know deal with grief and mourn their dead um, so I think like giving the attention is cool. So I would love to make this a running series and talk about all the different yeah. interesting ways. I agree. Yeah, man. Well, I, actually we are a bit over time. So any, any final <laughs> thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think I, I have much more to add. Um, you know what, you know what you guys should have tonight is a man, which actually, you know what? I'm, I'm having chili. To- so, I'm having meatloaf. Oh, that's, that's close. Thing. You guys, it's both very appropriate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, yeah, I'm going to eat that with starving. gumption. Oh, yeah. I might imagine <laughs> it's a piece of, like, dad or something, but, you know. Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, I guess we should do socials. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so you can you find fucking us ghoul. On... Yeah. <laughs> I am turning into a ghoul, a big yeah. stinky ghoul. I'm in a closet. It's dark. Chris, you have a hunchback all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's happening. Twist your fucking head around. <laughs> 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 so you can find us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore pod, on TikTok at Under the Pendulum. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. You can find me, Heather. Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas. And you can hear my narrations on Creepy Tales to Terrify, The Wicked, Lair- the Wicked Library, and the Chilling Library. Tales for Dark Nights. <laughs> and you can find me, Caitlin Weber, on Instagram under Frothy Star Dog. And you can find me on Instagram at Christopher Weber 13V and, and Facebook if you want. Christopher Weber. <laughs> don't don't really yeah. Stepping back from the Facebook a little bit. Yeah. yeah it's dying. Uh, yeah. It just uh-huh. doesn't do anything, you know, like for no. the show. It's it's just Well, it's, it's full it's of fucking people who want to complain to each other. That's all it's for. It's good yeah. for shopping, man. It's good for uh, groups true. and like that's fucking true. Facebook marketplace. That's all mm-hmm. I care about. That's cute animal videos. Always. Still, still good for that. I, I do have have a lot of people that post good art on mine, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it it is pretty useless. It's, it's in the like... company you keep, man. <laughs> yeah, true, true. At some point, we'll stop doing these socials because it'll just we'll just we'll you just know, update you, it. Yeah, you people. They know where to find us. They know where to find us. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know the name guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for listening and we'll be back with another episode and we will see you next time see you later goodbye Um, no 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) bye